Amen. For those of you who have a Bible and you would like to follow along, we're we'll diving into Luke chapter 3. But before we do that, you might notice on the floor we have prayer requests and Bible passages all written on the floor because our very first Sunday in here, we took Sharpies and we allowed everyone to do that. And if you haven't had an opportunity to do that, or maybe you're a guest and you're like, I'm never going to return here, we still want to give you that opportunity. We've got like 200 Sharpies over there. We've got plenty if you want to write on them. But something that I found that was really cool, and I didn't notice this until earlier this week, I don't know who did this, but I love you for it. Someone wrote right there at the entrance in big letters, but God. And I was just stunned, and I was like, man, what a wonderful testimony that before you come in this place, we've all got our baggage, we've all got our wounds, our scars, but what a a testimony that when you cross that threshold, the first thing you can see is but God. Saying that everything else is different in this space. Okay, all the past, all the pains is different because now God's a part of it. And I don't know about you, but if I was to sum up my entire life and what two words I want to sum up my life, I want them to be saying, but God. To say that God has intervened and my life is completely different because God stepped into the mess. And what a wonderful testimony that we get to celebrate in that light when we dive into the story of Jesus in Luke chapter 3. And that, that excitement brings about in me a heart to want to wanna pray. And so before we dive in, I'm just going to ask, I never do this, but can we just stop and pray right before we dive into God's word? Father, I would ask that you would give us clarity. I ask that in this moment that you would uh, scoop away from our minds all the distractions, that our, our hearts would be just focused upon you. And what you have to say to us in your word. I ask for myself that that when I speak this morning that I only say the words that you want me to say. That whatever is of me that you would strip away so that you would have all the glory and honor, Father. Father, I can't thank you enough that you allow us the privilege of being able to worship you. Thank you, Father. Amen. A couple weeks ago I had one of the worst nights I've had in a long time. But God used it to teach me a very powerful reminder about how good he is. It started off like a typical Friday night. I I stayed up late to watch a movie, and Jody and Harper had gone to bed, and it's just me and the dog in the living room, and and we stay up to close to midnight, and I decide, okay, I'm going to let him out one more time. And then when he comes back in, this is when the mistake happened. Because he comes back in the house, and, and normally he's a solid white dog, but he came back in the house yellow. Yeah, it turns out my dog Bandit got friendly with a skunk, and the skunk did not appreciate it. So it's about midnight, and and he comes in, and he just reeks. And before I have time to react, he takes off running through the house. He jumps up on all the furniture. He rubs his belly on the carpet trying to get it out. And I'm chasing him around, yelling at him to try to stop so he would listen to me so I can clean him off. But he's only panicking as he's running around the house, spreading it everywhere. And because we're so loud, it then wakes up the baby. The baby starts screaming. Jody comes up. She's frustrated. She's trying to calm down. Harper, I'm yelling at the dog. We're naturally just snapping at each other. It's not a good moment. But it's very comical if you were having to observe it, right? And eventually, I corner bend it, and I have to pick him up, and I get the skunk oil all over myself, and I have to carry him. He's like 50 pounds. I have to carry him through the house to the bathroom as he's squirming trying to get away from me. I have to put him in the tub, and then I lock him in with a leash and everything, and I'm starting to wash him. And keep in mind, this is almost like 1 o'clock in the morning by this point. I'm exhausted. I want to go to bed. This is the last thing I want to be doing. And he's giving me that look 
that if you're a dog owner, you've seen that look, you know, when your dog's like, hey, I know I've done wrong, I'm ashamed, I'm embarrassed, like giving you those puppy eye looks, right? That's what he's doing, and I'm just sitting there, I'm scrubbing him, I'm trying to get this mess out. And in that moment, God kind of spoke to me. And he said, Mason, if you were in Bandit's position, how would you feel? And I was like, God, I have to be honest with you, I would not be happy with myself. I would look at it and I'm like, I, I made a mess of things. I made a mess of your creation around me. I, instead of listening to you, I tried to fix it myself and it only continued to make more of a mess. God, I would be ashamed. I would be embarrassed. I feel like you would be embarrassed by me. And if I had to say it simply, it would be, God, I just don't like who I am right now. I've been in that space many times. Where I thought to myself, I just don't like who I am right now. Have you ever felt that way? Maybe it came about because you snapped and you, you said something mean or hateful to a loved one, to a family member, to a friend, to a colleague. Maybe you did something that you know you shouldn't have done and you're like, I keep going back to the same mistakes. I keep doing what I know is wrong and you've seen it destroy your family. You've seen how it's hurt those who are close to you and you keep asking yourself, why do I keep doing this? And you come back to the same conclusion. Well, I just don't like who I am right now. Or maybe for some of you, the reason why you don't like who you are is not because of something in your past and maybe it's not for a petty reason like your appearance. Maybe if you're honest, truly transparent moment right here. Maybe for some of you, you don't like who you are right now because you look at your life and you see all the many blessings you have. You see how there are people who love you, who need you, and yet you look at this and there's something inside of you that still wants to run. Something inside of you that feels like you don't deserve the blessings you have and it's waiting for an opportunity to destroy something good that God has given you. We all have those moments, I think, if we're honest with ourselves, where we have to look at ourselves in the mirror and we have to say, you know what, I don't like who I am right now. And it begs the question, where's the salvation for the one who's struggling with such dark thoughts? Well, if we approach God's word with the expectancy to hear God speak because we believe that this is God's words, that he's given to us, that the God of the universe has written this, he's formed this together for our formation in Christ so that we would know how much we are loved, and we come to this asking God to speak to us when we approach it, we're introduced to this guy named Jesus. And last week, we began a journey looking at the life of Jesus, and we saw that in his, remember, in his birth, he chose to step into a place of weakness and vulnerability and humility. And then we find Jesus 30 years later, the next time we hear about him. And we're, we're introduced to him at the, the banks of the Jordan River, and we're introduced at the same time to this guy named John who's leading this big revival. John is trying to get the people prepared for what God is going to do and the Messiah that's coming. So he's like, guys, we gotta, we got to get ourselves right. we got to get baptized to say that we want to be a part of what God is going to do because God is on the move. And so people are lining up to get baptized, and we find Jesus is in the crowd. And he too gets baptized to say that he is part of what the big thing that God is about to do. And when that happens, when he gets baptized, we're told about this occurrence that happens in Luke chapter 3, verse 21. It's a very powerful story. It says, when all the people were baptized, 
And when Jesus also had been baptized and was praying, the heavens were opened. Now, I'll be honest, I don't know what that means, really. I picture my head like a giant zipper, and then God just kind of unzipping it, and, and just something awesome happening on the other side. I don't know what that looks like, right? But the, the author, the Luke, that's the only way he knows how to describe this moment. The heavens were opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And so imagine this awesome moment where here's this guy named Jesus. He's baptized in the water. As he's coming up, the sky is just ripped to shreds, okay, light falls from heaven, you know, there's a, like a Holy Spirit, like a dove, you're like, man, this is an awesome moment, but in my opinion, the really, really awesome thing is the very next thing that happens, where a voice came from heaven and said, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. These are the very first words that God the Father says to God the Son. And I look at it, and I have to be honest here. I think all of us crave to hear such words from our own parents. Some of you have grown up in a situation where you are craving to hear these very words from your father or your mother. And you feel like you haven't. You're carrying around this burden where you're trying to earn their approval. You're trying to earn their attention, but they're more preoccupied in themselves or their own careers or their own achievements, and you feel like you just go unnoticed. And I find that even grown men still have that drive within them trying to earn the approval of their father and mother because they were never told these words by their parents. I understand many of you are in that situation, and I know how incredibly painful it is because you're just hoping for the day where your parent will see you. And so I want to encourage you to do something. You might not believe anything else I'm going to say this morning. You might not be like, hey, Mason, I don't believe that this is the word of God. I don't believe anything you have to say here. And I I get that. I'm all right with that. I love the fact that you're here. I hope you have a great time here. But I want to encourage you to do something. If I could, I would command it of you, but I can't. So I'm just going to encourage you to make a difference by going home. If you're a parent, go home and tell your kids what Jesus was just told. Because your kids need to hear from you that you love them and that you're pleased with them. Because maybe you never got this from your own father. Maybe you never got this from your own mother. And I'm so sorry that happened. But you can break the cycle. I see too many grown men. This is especially true for men a lot of times. Where we have this wound from our father. Where we're trying to earn their affection. They earn their attention. And so men break the cycle. I'm sorry what happened to you. I wish it didn't happen to you. But be a better parent to your own kid. Take every opportunity to tell them how much you love them and how proud you are in them. You need to do this. Because this could save your family. This could save your marriage. And think about it. If Jesus needed to hear it from God the Father, then your kids need to hear it from you too. And if you're sitting there thinking, my kids have grown up. My kids have left the house. My kids have kids of their own. All the more reason to contact them. Because maybe they're falling into the same cycle of you. Maybe they're so busy trying to still earn your affection, to earn your approval, that their own kids are missing out on hearing from them that they're loved and that they're proud of them. We need this. Because we're breaking each other time and time again because we will not tell each other the truth. That we love you. 
They're proud of you. So if you don't listen to anything else I say today, you need to do this for the sake of your own family. If you've never done it before, you need to build that into your cycle because it will save your marriage. And these words are incredibly, incredibly powerful, especially when they're given to Jesus. Because here's God in the moment announcing from heaven that this is his own flesh and blood. This is the true Israel. This is the Messiah who's coming into the world to save and rescue humanity. And this begs the question, well, if this is supposed to be the Messiah, the big hero, what's he going to be like? Because, see, this is in a setting where many people are standing up and saying, hey, I'm the Messiah. Look at me. I'm over here. I'm the Messiah. But this is the only time where God speaks from heaven saying, no, that guy over there is the Messiah. So we all should be perking up a little bit to see, well, what's this guy like? Will he understand what I'm going through? Will he fight for me? Will he care for me? Which is why every gospel story, right after they talk about God saying this to Jesus, they immediately talk about what Jesus did in Acts. And it's in Luke chapter 4, where it says, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, returned from the Jordan and was led by the Spirit in the wilderness for 40 days, being tempted by the devil. And he ate nothing during those days, and when they were ended, he was hungry. Now Luke is wanting us to remember how long ago the nation of Israel, how they went through a similar experience. Remember, they were rescued from slavery in Egypt. They were brought through the waters of the Red Sea. God told them, hey, you are my son, the one I'm well pleased in. And then they went through 40 years wandering through the wilderness where they were tempted and they failed God continuously. Remember, they were tempted to think that God won't take care of them. They were tempted to think, you know what, my way is better than God's way. I'm going to achieve what I want outside of God's direction. Remember, they were the people who said, you know what, God, we realize all you've done for us, but we don't think you're faithful and trustworthy. And now Luke is wanting us to see how Jesus is being put in the exact same situation. And will he be better? Will he make the same mistakes as Israel did, as we all do? Because those three things, we fall into temptation every day. Every day we're tempted to think God won't take care of us. Every day we're tempted to, to go our own way rather than God's way of things. Every day we're tempted to think that God is not faithful, that he doesn't have a plan, that he doesn't love us. These are the things that we fail at every single day. And now we find Jesus facing them. But what's different about Jesus is he doesn't fail. He succeeds. He trusts God. And this was a way of the author of Luke telling us that Jesus proves himself worthy to be our king because he overcomes what oftentimes defeats us. Because where we fail... Jesus succeeded. He is the worthy king, and he knows what it's like to walk a mile in our shoes. So your situation that you're in, that you think no one knows what I'm going through, no one can understand the pressure, the weight on my back, the way I feel, I come in this place, I smile, I pretend everything's all right, but no one can understand what's going on in my life. The scripture is very clear, Jesus does know. And he's overcome. And he's fighting for us. He cares for us. And so he leaves the wilderness showing himself as a king who knows what it's like to be in our shoes. And he goes back home and he goes back to his place of worship, this place called a synagogue. And they're having a worship service and he's invited to be the preacher that morning. And he stands up and he reads this passage from Isaiah chapter 
or I don't know what chapter it is in the moment, but it's in Luke chapter 4 where he reads this passage from Isaiah. He stands up and he reads this, this scripture. He says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind, to set at liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. So that's his scripture, right? He stands up, he's like, I want to talk about this passage. He reads it, he rolls up the scroll of Isaiah, he sits down and everyone's leaning forward because they're like, all right, what are you going to talk about? What's going to be the big news for our life right here? And everyone's waiting for this because they've all heard from heaven God saying, this is my Messiah. Listen to him, right? And here's his sermon. It's super short and it's radical. Here's what he says. And the eyes of all the synagogue were fixed on him and he began to say to them, Today, this scripture has been fulfilled in your hearing. And that's his sermon. He basically stands up and he says, guys, this scripture is talking about me. And he's defining how he's going to operate. Because everyone's looking for a Messiah, but they've all got their own ideas of what he's going to be like. They've all got their own desires of what he's going to do for them. And basically, they wanted someone who's going to come in, who's going to gather up an army, who's going to march against Rome, who's going to overthrow the empire and establish their own empire, right? That's what they're waiting for. That's what they think the Messiah is going to do. But he's pointing out that he's different, that he's come for a different crowd. He's come for the poor. Now, the poor in this is not those of a financial status. It's those who feel like, they don't belong. It's those who feel like they're outcasts. Those who are carrying great weight and burden upon them. It's for those who feel like those around them don't like them and they don't even like themselves. That's the poor that's mentioned here. And Jesus went out of his way to bring freedom to them. Because everything Jesus did, he was on a mission to bring freedom to all people. And so he sets out doing this. He goes from town to town preaching about God's love. He, he performs all these miracles. He, he heals people. He feeds the hungry. He goes to those who feel burdened and weary, and he gives them new strength and new purpose. He finds those who feel like they're crushed by their guilt, and he offers them forgiveness. He finds people who don't like who they are, and he gives them a new life, a new beginning. Everything he did was about this. Just look at his disciples. So Jesus calls 12 guys to be his disciples. He forms this little small group to do life with them. And you could not have picked a worse crowd than the people that Jesus picked. He picks people who are angry, people who are explosive in their attitude, people who are just on the verge of tearing one another apart. He picks one guy who's a tax collector for the Roman Empire and another guy who was a rebel against the Roman Empire. I mean, can you imagine the conversations over the campfire at night between those two? He invites them. He, he calls people who are married with kids. He calls people who are teenagers. He forms this group that should by no means get along with one another, by no means be accepted. I mean, by the rest of the world, they're seen as outcasts. The rest of the world doesn't like them. And Jesus is like, those are the people I want a part of my family. And that's exactly what he's doing. Jesus is forming a new family. One where everyone can be a part of it. One where it doesn't matter your past, your future is now in the hands of Jesus. And he goes around teaching this new group of people how to live. How to be who God wanted you to be. He teaches them to love even their enemies. He teaches them to be people of irrational generosity, to look for those opportunities where you can give back in light of what God has done for you. 
really that's his main focus. To see what God has done for you and to go out and to do it to others. This is the life which Jesus is calling people to step into. And you think about it, this is radical. This is something new. This would change even our world today. I mean, imagine if we all live believing in the God that Jesus talked about, we would not have any more violence. There wouldn't be revenge. There wouldn't be people greedy, competing for one another's attention or, or competing for status. Instead, we would see people who, rather than looking to collect things, will look to see, is my neighbor all right? Can I go without so that they might have plenty? This is the kind of life that Jesus is calling us into. And if even a few of us did this, I mean, it would change things. People would look at you and be like, you're weird. But what an opportunity to be able to say, oh, but look at my Jesus. And this is the, what the beginning of Jesus' ministry is all about. He's setting a new dynamic for how to be human. And basically what we're seeing in Jesus in this early stage is that Jesus rescues us into a new beginning on life. Jesus rescues us into a new beginning on life. If you've been following along in this long series we've been a part of, you would recognize how important this is. Because humanity in the beginning had this perfect relationship with God, and it kind of crumbled. It fell apart. It, it broke apart because we chose to disobey God. We chose to reject God's way and we went our own way. And now here's God coming to the rescue, presenting a new way for us to be human. A way where we can step past our past and our mistakes and our brokenness and be able to say, you know what, I choose the new life in Jesus. God reminded me of that when I was trying to clean off Bandit. It was the next day and I was I had spent the entire day scrubbing the house clean, washing myself multiple times to get the oil off myself. For Bandit, I was on bath number 12, I think, of him just scrubbing, trying to get this, this skunk oil off of him. And that's when God once again spoke to me. And he said something, and I feel like he was laughing or smiling in this moment because I was sitting there scrubbing. I was like, why won't you just get clean already? And God kind of spoke to me in that moment. And he's like, when I clean something, it's one and done for eternity. And I was just brought into a moment of worship and joyous laughter. I was like, God, yeah, you're right. This is a moment where I look at myself and I think I have to constantly fix myself. I have to constantly get myself clean. And, and you say it's one and done. And I think we all need to hear that. Because I need to hear it as a pastor because sometimes I can get caught in my own head of thinking I don't like who I am. But when you look at what Jesus was a part of, the kind of people he called to belong into his family. You see, those are the exact kind of people he wanted. People who the world said, we don't like you. You don't deserve anything good. And these are the very people that God was saying, I say it otherwise. As he's calling us into a new beginning. And that's what we're seeing in Jesus. Where he calls us to belong with him. He calls us to believe in him. And then he calls us to become something more. And let me tell you, my friends, it's messy, it's chaotic, it's uncomfortable at times to see that this is how God works. But it's beautiful. It's inspiring. It's freeing. It makes me think of two buckets. I was told this story recently by another pastor about these two buckets. He said there used to be about 500 years ago, this master who lived in a village. 
Every day he had to go out to collect water. So he would take two buckets and he would travel out on this long journey to the river. He would scoop up the water and he would travel back home. And he always carried one bucket on his left and one bucket on his right, always the same buckets. One bucket was clean and pristine and had no flaws. It held the water perfectly. But the other bucket, the other bucket was dirty. It was cracked. It was splintered. There were holes in it. So when he went to go scoop up the water, by the time his journey was ended for the day, all the water was gone. It had leaked and poured itself out. And one day, the broken bucket said to the master, Master, I don't like who I am. Look at me. I'm broken. I'm dirty. I'm splintered. God, I, I, Master, I'm not good for anything. I used to be better. I used to look like that, but life has been hard. Look at me now. You, you don't want me, Father. Master, you should just get rid of me and just stick with that bucket. And the master was hurt by this. So he took the broken bucket on a journey back to the river. And he looked at the broken bucket, and he's like, do you notice I always carry you on my right side? And you look at the other bucket, and he's always on the left side. He holds the water perfectly fine, but, but look at the trail. Notice the left side of the trail is dead and decaying. There's no life there. There's no fruit or vegetation there. But look at your side. Yes, you leaked the water of life, but there's fruits and vegetation there. And that's because when I saw you as broken, when I saw the things that you hate about yourself, I decided I was going to plant seeds along that way because when the water leaked out, fruits and vegetables grew enough to feed the entire village. So you might not like who you are, but I think you're perfect for the job I have for you. My friends, we're, we're the broken bucket. That's why we say all the time, this is a family of imperfect people gathering together to worship a perfect God. My job here is not to turn you into that. My job is to see you as someone who's filling yourself up every day with the word of life so that it would leak out so that fruits and vegetables might be planted for the harvest of others. Because that's, that's what Jesus did. That's the kind of people he came for. He didn't come for those who have perfect lives. He didn't come for those who have no problems with their lives. He came for those who need a rescue of a new beginning on life. And maybe that's some of you. Maybe for some of you, this is your first time you've ever been in here, and God is speaking to you and says, you need a new beginning on life. Maybe you've been coming to church your entire life and that message has never really sunk in, but this morning God is kind of speaking to you and you recognize who you are and you've been trying to hide it, you've been trying to be ashamed of it, and maybe God's saying, I'm going to use that instead for a new beginning on life for you. And I want to give you that opportunity to respond this morning to God. Because if God is speaking to you as I hope he is, I want to give you an opportunity to say yes to him. For an opportunity to say, Jesus, I love you. Jesus, won't you save me? Jesus, can I just be a part of your family? And so here in a minute, the band's going to come back up and they're going to worship. I'm going to be standing right over here in the corner in the dark. There's going to be men and women in the back of the room as well. Probably in the hallway is probably the best place for you. And if you need to talk to anybody, because this morning you need to get right with Jesus. Jesus.
Because this morning you need a new beginning on life. Please, don't walk out of here the same person. Walk out of here someone who is able to say, hey, I walked in one way, but God. Let that be your story this morning. Because I hope you're one of those who was the kind of person that Jesus came for. Because he said in his own word, he did not come for the righteous, but for sinners. For hurting, broken people. Because Jesus has come to rescue us into a new beginning on life. And that could be true for you this morning. Why don't you pray with me? Father, I cannot thank you enough that in all of your majesty and all that you had, you decided that you still wanted us. Father, if I'm honest, sometimes I don't like who I am. Father, I find myself sometimes making mistakes again and again. I find myself hurting valuable relationships in my life. And so it's easy for me to think that, that you're not pleased with me, that you don't love me. But when we look at Jesus, we find that you came for people such as us. And so, Father, I want to say yes to you. And I hope that there are others in this room who will say the same thing. Because you've come to make us clean. You've come to rescue us. And the beautiful thing about that, Father, is you clean us once and it's good for eternity. There's not a moment where we can go and make so much a mess that we're no longer part of your family once we've said yes to you, Father. Your cleaning is good for eternity. And I thank you for that. I praise you for that. Father, I'm in awe of that. And I pray right now as we are going to be singing about how good you are and how you've brought about a new beginning on life for us, if we say yes to you and you see how you've chosen to rescue us, Father, I ask in this moment you would open our lips to be able to praise you. That the Holy Spirit would move in our midst this morning and we might walk out of here with just an atmosphere to live a life that says, but God, I want that kind of life, Father. And I pray I'm not alone. It's in your name I pray. Amen.